Well, good morning. Hey, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to John 15. John 15. We're uh, still working a little bit here uh, on this passage of conversations with Jesus. Some of the conversations he had with his disciples, some of the things we can learn uh, from that. Today's topic uh, from last week was the directions to joy. The directions to joy. I told you, uh, if you'll turn to John John 15, I told you last week... uh, we, uh, I went, or week before last, I spoke at uh, one of our youth conventions in the Church of God, and uh, we got really lost. And I come to find out that nobody uses MapQuest anymore. <laughs> That's what they told me. And I know why now. Uh, <clears throat> we got lost in San Antonio in a way, and I have a really good sense of direction. And uh, we got so lost, it was scary uh, where we were. I, I, you know, it, it, it was just uh, frightening. Uh, and I remember uh, saying to Becky, you know, I've got a good sense of direction. And she goes, right. <clears throat> and I kept saying, you know, I, I know where I am. I've been to San Antonio. In fact, I've, and, you know, we were, we were going to a very important place called Papados. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I have an eidetic memory that I remember wherever those things are. I can tell you, if you want to know, Schaumburg, Austin, Houston, Fort Worth, Dallas, uh, uh, Phoenix, you know, I know where they all are. Uh, and, and, and so I'm relying on myself to say, I know how to get there, Beck. I sort of remember where it was. The result was, again, I have now downloaded Google Maps. And, <clears throat> and uh, man, does that thing work. Uh, but I, it, it was so frustrating because I needed directions. And we finally, the only way we ever really, really, I'm serious, the way we found it is we're at this hotel and there was this cussier's desk, and I just said to this guy, look, I can't spell your name here, cussier's, but tell me, how do I get to Papadou? He said, oh, it's really easy. Go up here, north, make one turn left, another turn left, and you're there. And I said, can't be that easy. Can't be. <laughs> oh, yeah. The problem was, on the way back, I got lost. <laughs> Man, I thought I had a good sense of direction. <laughs> yeah, the wrong direction. Ever get turned around and get lost and think, my gosh, where, how do you get there? I, I kept saying to Becky, maybe you just can't get there from here. You know, maybe that's possible. Maybe you have to be landed in, but directions. And, and I, again, I, it, it just, it flabbergasted me because if I just had the direction, and once the guy gave me the directions, man, we were there like, how stupid can I be to have missed this? And then to get lost on the way back. Yeah, that was worse. I want you to look in John 15 here. I I got this idea of some directions. We're not going to get there today, so don't hyperventilate. But look at chapter 15, verse 11. Chapter 15, these conversations with Jesus. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These things, the demonstrative pronoun, these things, the demonstrative pronoun indicates that something previous to this statement here, these things I've spoken are are previous to that. It must be what is preceded, and I would suggest, verses 1 to 10. Uh, It's possible, on the other hand, uh, that uh, it's more than that. It could be all the way back into 14. I don't know. It's not that uh, simple to suggest. But it does say... That these things I have told you are these things I have spoken to you so that you will have joy. Now, as we know, I told Becky the other night, you know, I'm afraid to turn the TV on anymore. 
you know, what nation or country's in trouble and what's happened and, and all. And joy is something that uh, it seems like is in short order around here anymore. Seems like that. Now, let me, let me say a couple of things here about this, what Jesus said, because we're going to work our way back through this passage. What are the things that Jesus said? What did he declare there that will help us or enable us to have joy, have the directions uh, that are, are joy? Uh, you know, Jesus didn't say happiness. And I know we, we don't have a lot of time here to distinguish between that. But happiness is typically related, if you will, to circumstance. Happenstance comes from the old English idea of happenstance or happenings. It's interesting in America when you listen to Gallup or any of these people that poll Americans, they ask, what's the number one goal among people? You know what it is? I want to be happy. I want to be happy. It's a huge thing. Jesus uses a different word here than happiness. He uses the word joy, the Greek word kara. It's interesting that the, the, the Greek word for joy, kara, is also one of the root words that we get the word grace. Charis, charis, kara, charis. That the word joy is somehow related to an understanding of grace, of experiencing life as a gracious gift, as experiencing God's presence and life in our lives as a gracious gift. It, it's the same root term here. It's not just joy like, oh, I'm happy. And, and, and so Jesus said, I've said these things to you so that... Uh, You'll have my joy and that your joy may be full. How, anybody like to have Jesus' joy? You know, as I reflected on that thought, I'm going I'm to just kind of work here and then we're going to work through some of the steps here. Joy, happiness is associated with circumstances. If things are going well, you're happy. A happenstance. If things are going good, you know, you're, you're generally happy. It, it's, it's very sensitive to circumstances where joy is an inner matter that does not seem, if you will, to depend on circumstances, but here's my view, but having a higher purpose than the circumstances. Say it again. Joy is the result of having a higher purpose than the circumstances. Now, I, take, I, I say that because I think biblically there's, there's some evidence of that. If you can go read this later in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says there that Jesus endured the suffering of the cross. That's the circumstance he's in. That's the event that he's in. And if you know the passage, it says, for the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? To redeem and save mankind, humankind. That, that joy seems to be a higher purpose in life than the circumstances one is involved in. Joy is the product or the result of me having a higher purpose than the actual circumstances that I'm in. Now, that, that sounds theoretical, I know, but think about it this way. Whenever we're in a difficult time or a trouble or a problem, the higher purpose we have is to say, how is it that in this circumstance or situation, I might be able to manifest the presence and power of God here? How is that? Is it that I'm just able to get through this? How is it that in the circumstance or happenstance that I'm able to bring glory to God? That's a bigger purpose than the initial or the, or the circumstance that I'm in. No, I mean, nobody likes cancer. Nobody likes heart disease. No, you know, uh, 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 nobody likes uh, Coney Island hot dogs. You know, <laughs> yeah, they're bad for you. Yeah. 
I won't tell, I'm not even going to say that. <laughs> Nobody likes those things. And if life is reduced to that circumstance, I doubt if people are going to have much joy. Maybe you'd be insane to think, oh, wonderful, I'm sick. <laughs> you know, oh, wonderful. I mean, my wife has got to rejoice a few times when I've lost my voice. But <laughs> prayers have been answered. <laughs> But the idea of saying there's a higher, like Jesus, that he endured the suffering, the difficulty for the joy that was set before him. I, I personally, I just think that makes Christians dangerous. It, it, it makes people dangerous who can have real problems and real difficulties. And yet, as I said, they have joy because there's a higher purpose in life than the circumstance. I'm not saying don't cry. I'm not saying don't feel sad. I'm not saying don't try to make things better. I, this is not fatalism. But it is to understand, like Jesus, that there's a higher purpose here. And that in that process, we can find a way to bring glory. Here's what my uncle said to my dad. I just run. My, my uncle said to my dad when my dad was uh, wasting away uh, with pancreatic cancer. My dad loved to eat. We knew that. Uh, we go out at a restaurant. If you weren't careful, he'd get on your plate. <laughs> Yeah, I'm serious as a heart attack. And uh, I, I remember my dad, you know, wrestling with this, obviously, of this disease. Couldn't eat for the last 45 days of his life, did not have a have a meal uh, other than a spoon of orange sherbet to take some medicine. And I remember Uncle Paul saying to my dad, he said, Marvin, he said, you know, sometimes the the one thing we can give our children and we can give our families is to show them how to die. Show them how to die. Bringing glory to God. You know, I'd never seen a person die until I saw my dad die. I know it's, it's crazy, you know. Um, I'd been a pastor. I was either on my way to the hospital when somebody was ill or somebody got better when they saw me show up and said, go home. <laughs> I used to think my job as a pastor was tell jokes and, you know, try to lighten them up. I had a lady had this huge surgery. She'd been opened up like all of her body. She said, would you please leave? That's why I'm not a pastor. <laughs> but I watched my dad not want to die. I watched him not want these circumstances. Nobody in their right mind. But I watched him as he ebbed away, it seemed like every day, to say, I'll bring glory to God. I told you the last words my dad to me were, read me more poetry. It wasn't freaking out. It was read me more poetry. See, joy is having a higher purpose in life than the circumstances. If we get tied up in the circumstances, we're not going to have any joy. And we certainly won't have any happiness. Unless we can change the circumstances. And you're smart enough to know, and you and I have lived long enough, there are just sometimes we can't change the circumstances, right? They just can't be changed. They're not going to change. It doesn't matter what you do, no matter how much you push and shove. They're not changing. Jesus said, I've, I, I've said these things to you so that you'll, you'll have my joy and your joy will be full. So how does that happen? Okay, let, let's look at it here. We're going to start at verse 1. Jesus makes this statement. I'm the vine. My father's the vine dresser. We're going to go verse, th first three verses. I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser. 
Uh, Jesus makes a pretty radical statement here in this statement when he recognizes, I am the true vine. Now, uh, you know, uh, here's an interesting idea because the image of a vine in the Old Testament was always Israel. Uh, Israel was understood as God's vineyard. You can read this in Joel 1, Jeremiah 2, Isaiah 5. That's Joel 1, Jeremiah 2, Isaiah 5. You, you can read this throughout the Old Testament that Israel is always referred to as a vine. If you go, you know, in the temple, as what we understand from Josephus and others, across the arches of the temple, or the, in the doorways into the uh, temple area, there were these beautiful vines that were engraved in stone because Israel was understood as that. They were the vine. They were the one that God used to bring uh, uh, truth to the world. But Jesus calls himself something. Notice what he says. I am the what kind of vine? True vine. See, Israel all throughout their history had been faithless. They had been faithless. They had not been the true vine. He says, I planted a vineyard and it went crazy. Jesus says here, I'm the true vine. I am the source. Now, I got a couple of pictures here for you. Don't I? Yeah, here we go. Uh, I don't know a lot about grapes. I got a couple of vines in the backyard that Becky keeps trimmed back. And, you know, so I, I, don't, I don't know what they are. But in this picture here, we'll just notice here, this big branch here, this big thing right here is the vine. And, and, and I'll just show you this other one. This is a vineyard here. And these vines that are along here are all along here. And, you know, I don't know, but it's kind of like vineyards are like trees in, in the sense that the vine grows up and they put it on a trellis. And it's up there above the ground. This is going to be important now in the, as we get along here. It's above the ground and it uh, supplies uh, the, the branches. And as we know, you know, uh, for the matter, for, with life and sap and the ability to grow. Now, as I looked at that, I thought about this. I thought, you know, uh, when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, I'm saying he's the source of life. You know, if you look at this thing, at least when I did, it's a little confusing. From the standpoint, this looks just like an old, big old hunk of wood and the life looks like it's in the branches. There's where the grapes are. See, those little ones are the branches. It, it's a little confusing to say, what do you mean the, the life is in the vine? Well, it looks like the life is in the branches. It looks like the life is right there, the branches where all of those grapes are. But Jesus says, no, 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 you, you got this backwards. You may experience the fruit. You may experience the result. You may experience the consequence of life, Cliff, or Israel, or anyone. I'm the life. I'm the life. Jesus is the source. He's the vine, not Israel. He's the source of spiritual life. The confusion over this, I think, is something that we often wrestle and struggle with. I remember some years ago, I read a book, and uh, I think I remember, the, I'll try to remember the name of it, uh, but I remember this phrase in here, that one of the things that we get confused about the source of life, uh, there were times in my life when I would pray for patience. Anybody been stupid enough to do that? <laughs> yeah. Did you get any? I didn't. I did. I, hey, I'm. Uh, you know what? I, there, there have been times when I prayed for courage, and I didn't necessarily experience it. There are times when I prayed for strength. I didn't feel any stronger at all. Here, here's the deal. You see, 
it's easy to think what we need is strength or patience or courage. But you really don't need strength. What you need is Jesus. You don't need courage. You need Jesus. You don't need patience. You need Jesus. You see, God has one answer for our need. And we get confused because we think it's the grapes or the branches. We need courage. We need faith. We need all these kind of things. Instead of saying, no, no, we need the vine. We need the life that comes from Jesus Christ. Instead of looking at all those things that I need, instead of all of those matters, all of those consequences, the writer said it this way, it's no, you don't need these things. You need Jesus. He says, I'm the true vine. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I get confused at times. I get confused over this source. I, I get to thinking that, that if I could try harder or if I had more information or if I had more understanding or I got taught more, I could figure it all out. Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the source of life. I've told you before, my understanding of this over the last couple of years has really morphed in this regard. That I really believe that sin is really when I or you or anyone tries to find life outside of Jesus Christ. I think that's what sin is. It's when we try to find life, when we think it's over here, it's over there. If I could get more of this or less of that, or if I get away from this. Jesus said, I'm the life. I, I, I'm here as the vine. I, I'm here as the life for you. You know, I was uh, the other night, uh, I went to a, a graduation exercise uh, for uh, Celebrate Recovery. I don't know if you all know about that. It's sort of a Christian version of AA. Uh, but there's, instead of a higher power, it's actually Jesus. And uh, it's here at the church, and it's great. And AA's done a lot of great things. For me. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying this, it's a little different. And I sat there as I attended it, and Doug uh, Wilson uh, graduated. You know, he's got his uh, CR graduation and his vacation Bible school graduation. <laughs> That's what I told him. He's got two certificates now on the wall. Isn't that great? And then I told him, Doug, everybody gets a vacation Bible school diploma. He didn't know that. He didn't know that. Uh, you know, I, um, I'm sitting there and listening to people tell their story. Doug told his story, others, and it's just, it's just amazing. If you ever, you ought to go sometime. Just sit there, sit there and listen to people. And, and in this matter, I, I kept hearing people say, I came to the point at the end of my strength. I came to the end of my strength in my life, and I finally surrendered to Jesus. And I thought, you know, that's what it is. It's quit living with the illusion that we have power and ability and strength and give up and surrender to Jesus as what? Life. I'd say it this way. It, I don't, I'm not saying this to be crude. I'm just quoting Martin Luther, who was a Lutheran, who sometimes he got kind of crude. Luther often said this. He said, it's not your badness that keeps you away from God. It's your damnable goodness. Let that sink in a little bit. You think if you could just have a little more time and try a little harder, you could fix it. You and I think that if we just learned something else or went to another class or studied another book or learned to read the Bible in Greek, we could do it. No, because Jesus is the vine. He's the life. So when I hear people say, I came to the point in my life when I realized I was out of control. 
You know, a lot of these people are really religious people. Go to church. Spend time at our church here. When they tell their story, you go, you know what? What are we carrying around? What are, what, are, what are we hiding? What are we saying? Look, I've got to come to the end of myself. I've got to come to this point of recovery to where I, I say, Jesus, you're the life that I have to have. Now, I'm getting a little radical as I get older. You know, they're probably going to get fired here at the university this year. I got a few new ideas I had over the summer, which are dangerous. I did, man. I've been reading like crazy. I think that part of this is our language is goofed up. I'll say it this way. When we talk to people and people say this, I've accepted Jesus Christ. Ask them this. As what? Don't let him off the hook. As what? I, first of all, that kind of language is absent in the New Testament. Okay? You're going to have a hard time. The only one, John 1, 9, for as many as received unto them, he gave the right to become children of God. But I think it's important for you to say, what did you accept him as? Rabbit's foot? Somebody get you out of trouble? The source of your life? It, I, I would say, when people say, I've asked Jesus into my life. I say, what? Well, like he's in a spare room somewhere over here, you know, that you let him live? I've been saved. From what? See, all of these things beg us to go deeper to say, if I didn't accept him, as my life, he just may be a religious trinket in my, my situation. If, if I ask him into my life, but I'm still in charge. You know, you can stay over here, but don't do anything to that room. Right? Don't change the paint. I told you, you know, we, we bought our house and Becky loved it. We weren't there two days and she said, we need to change the color in here. And I said, I thought you liked this house. She said, I do but I'm going to change it. And I said, yes, dear. <laughs> I mean, she messed everything up. I, I, we, we bought this place. I thought we're going to get moved in. It's nice. It's close to the church. I was a good husband. I helped her that way. And then all of the sudden, and there's a person in this class who's an interior decorator who shall go nameless. Who said after we moved in, I want to volunteer and come over and help you. My life's over. <laughs> help me. Help me by not coming to my house. Oh, you need this. You need that. And, no, that's not going to work. No, that won't work. You need this lighting over here. Do we ask Jesus into our life and say, hey, leave things alone. Leave them alone. You can come in, but you leave things alone. You be a good boy. You don't cause any trouble. You see, Jesus said, I'm, I'm the true vine. I'm the vine. I'm, we look for life in so many different sources, don't we? I do. We, we, we think life is found somewhere. Jesus is saying, if you want to find my joy, the path to joy, the path to joy here, is really when we understand that our life 
comes from Jesus Christ. Here's a quote I want you to have from E. Stanley Jones. The gospel's not good advice, but good news. It's not primarily teaching us how to live, but an offer of life. I want to let that just think about that. Jesus is not here on some moral crusade. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He said, I've come that you might have life because you don't got it. If I came to bring it, it's because you don't have it. Think about that. Jesus, here the gospel is not good. It's not primarily teaching us how to live. It's an offer of life. I'm not saying that we don't learn how to live, but I sometimes think we got the thing backwards. We think that if we learn a bunch of truths and ideas about living, that we'll somehow have life. I'm suggesting that Jesus comes to give me life, and in learning how to live that life with Him, I learn how to live. He's my source. I wrote this in my notes. I don't have it on your, but but I uh, I wrote this in my. You might want to write this down. It says, "Who or what is my soul source?" I wrote this way: S O L E, S O U L. Who or what is my soul? S O L E and S O U L source. Who or what is it? What's my source of life? My dad told me a story about my grandmother uh, years ago. We called her Mima. Uh, and uh, she had five kids. My dad was one of them. And uh, had a husband, Peepaw. <laughs> Mima, Peepaw. You know, you got to make it rhyme somehow. Uh, the only thing I remember about my grandfather much is he tried to teach me how to smoke. I come from a very cultured background. He used to smoke cigarettes and had one of them big long uh, holders that you only saw women movie stars with. And he would fall asleep and that cigarette, we'd wait and count. How long will it be? How long will it be? Until he sets himself on fire. <coughs> hey, we didn't have any money. It was cheap entertainment. <coughs> but Peepaw was a dreamer. And not a good provider. My dad dropped out of the eighth grade to provide for the family. There were five kids and him and the family. My grandfather played dominoes down at the domino hall. He gambled. He was a dreamer. He thought if he could fill a pickup truck up one time and drive to San Antonio, he could make all kinds of money selling fruit. He didn't realize they already had fruit in San Antonio. <laughs> People. My dad was driving a a 50-mile-a-day truck route delivering milk when he was in the eighth grade to help support the family. He tells me that some of the most powerful memories he has as a kid, besides quitting school, um, working, driving a truck, the state police knew it, but they knew they needed to eat, and they were out in West Texas. His strong memory, he said, is when his mother would get to the point of being overwhelmed. My dad said they just about moved every time the rent was due. That's a little exaggeration. But he took us around that little town and showed us all the places they used to live. And it was just beyond me. 
He said, my grandmother, who was a follower of Jesus, my grandfather wasn't, would come to the point where she would just get to the point she was just about to break. And he says she'd walk out in the backyard, little little backyard in Texas. There's no grass. It's just dirt and rattlesnakes. But she'd go out there by the clothesline. And he said, I can see this as clear as day the way he told me. She'd find a little place to sit down in the yard and flip her apron up over her head and begin to pray. And begin to ask God, give me the strength to raise these kids. Give me Jesus to help me. Jesus, be the strength of my life to enable me to be the kind of mom I need to be, to be the kind of person. My dad said that my mom would, and he was a young boy, he said he would see her out there, she'd be crying and praying, and then after a while, she would come back, put the apron down, as I remember, if I remember, humming and going on. She knew where the source of her life was. It wasn't a new husband. It wasn't more money. It wasn't a different job. It wasn't another house that would make her happy finally. She knew the source of her life was Jesus Christ. That in his strength and in his power and his life, that she could live the way he wanted her to. So what if? I don't know if I, I, don't know if I have it on your, uh, it's on your outline. I don't know if I got it on there. What if this week you noticed, here's the blank, your reaction to events in your life. The, the, uh, the blank is your reaction to events in your life and how your, the next blank, I thought I had a reaction, may indicate the source of your life. Maybe, maybe our reactions to things in life will help us to identify what is the real source of my life. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying I got this all figured out. I'm not saying I got this all nailed down. There are times when things happen when I weren't, you know, do I have enough retirement? Am I going to have enough health? I get that. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be simplistic here. But it might be helpful that in some of the things that happened to us in our life this week, that our reaction to it could be a, a learning moment to say, God, this is apparently what I think the source of my life is. Whether it's my checking account or my health or my equity in my, I don't, you know, I don't know. But I think we struggle with this. The path, if you will, to joy is to recognize the source of my life. The source of your life, the source of my life as a follower of Jesus is Jesus. He's the true vine. Now, the second thing here well, good, is rest in the security of your father. The path to peace, the path to joy is to recognize the source of life, is to rest in the security of your father. Notice what Jesus said. I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he prunes so it may bear more fruit. Now, you know, I, I don't know a lot about this. I'm not into yards much uh, because I have allergies. You know, that's why Becky has to mow. 
And, uh, but I did a little research and study. You know, a vineyard has a, a vineyard keeper. And that person's job is to take care of the vines. Life isn't so simple that you just plant a, uh, you know, a vine and next year you got fruit. In fact, there's some research I read that said it's uh, several years, if you will, uh, uh, where uh, before a vine will begin to produce. I don't know that. I'm just uh, telling you what I think or what I've read. But Jesus said here, my father is the vine dresser. Now, think about this, that, that Jesus is saying the person who takes care of the vine and the branches, we're going to look at that, is my father. I told you before, this idea of God as father is an absolutely unique idea to Judaism. There is no evidence that anyone ever directly addressed God as Father. Not in rabbinical writing, not in the Talmud, not in the Mishnah, nowhere. This idea of God as Father is a brand new idea in this understanding of the relationship that Jesus offers us. And he says you can rest in the fact that the source of life that I am, you've got a Father watching over you. I want you to look at this. I, I've wrestled with this. This passage has troubled me and bugged me over the years. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. Now, again, watch it. What, what Jesus is referring to is the care of the vine dresser. He's saying these, these uh, vines that are planted that he is and the branches, they're not just let go. They're not just, okay, do the best you can, see you later. This vine dresser, who is the father, is caring for them. He's watching over them. Now, if your Bible reads like mine, it says, every branch in me, again, this is heart, this is where the confusion is. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit. He says, later, if you abide in me, what will happen? You will abide. You will, you will bear fruit. I looked at this. I, I, I want you to look at this, uh, these a uh, couple of words here that, that, that I, I want to offer you uh, an, a couple of alternatives. Number one, it says right here, the husbandman or the one watching over the, the branches, if it, if it doesn't bear fruit, he takes it away. Now, the, the Greek term here is a, a, an interesting word, uh, ire, and, it, and, it, and it, in different places it means to take away. Uh, you can find that in John 1, 29. He takes away the sin of the world. Uh, in John eleven thirty nine, 39, uh, he says, take away. Uh, and by the way, whenever you want to know what a word means, uh, this is a little Bible study technique here. Anytime you want to know what a word means, don't go just to the dictionary. Okay? Go to the book that the word occurs in and see how it's used in the same book. That's how you come to some conclusion. It's not just go to the dictionary. It's go to the book of John now. How does this word appear to operate? If you want to go further than that, then you go to other books by the same author. John wrote some other books. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And then if that doesn't suffice you, then go to the same kind of literature, which this is a gospel, go to the other gospels. So this, there's, a, there's a technique here of not just finding the word and going to the dictionary. We don't live in a dictionary, right? Right? So it can mean that. On the other hand, the word ire can mean lift up. That's found in John 5, 8. 
at the pool of Bethesda, he says, lift up or take up your bed. In John 8, 59, it says they lift up or take up stones to stone him. In John eleven forty one, 41, the word is lift up your eyes. Now, you know, if, if, if you want to look at this, you have to look at the evidence to say, can a person be in Jesus and not bear fruit? And then if that's the case, what does the husbandman do? Does he take it away or lifts it up? See what I told you? What could happen here? The vines are to grow up, the, the, the branches are, the vine goes up and the branches grow up. But if the wind or other things, those vines begin to go down toward the ground, that's not the way they're supposed to grow. And all of the sap and all of the life is being taken to grow the vine longer and not produce fruit. You know, that's what happens whenever you get a, a vine or something. It gets growing. All the energy is in growing longer or further and not producing fruit. Am I impressing you with my horticultural knowledge? <laughs> yeah, I'm way past my pay grade right now. I'm, 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 I'm quoting you what I've been reading, right? Have no firsthand evidence on this. But the, but the sap, and the, is it possible? I think it is. Because of the way the Greek word is used here, that Jesus saying, if a, if, a, if a branch in me doesn't bear fruit, he didn't take it away, he lifts it up so it can bear fruit. If this image is correct, and I, I, I'm going to argue that it is, or, or suggest that it is, it, 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 it is, it is the, the husbandman that he takes this branch and lifts it up that has grown down. Now, I don't want to get too psychological here and too, too metaphorical, but we all know that life has a way of pushing us down. Life has a way to put the weight on us to where the weight of the world begins to weigh on us and we begin to do And all of our energy is given over to other things other than bearing fruit. Listen, I... I I've, I've met young moms who have two kids under five and would say to me, you know, I just have a hard time finding that hour for Bible study. And I, <laughs> what? You have a hard time finding an hour for anything. When's the last time you went to the bathroom by yourself? <laughs> right? Is it possible that there are things in life that weigh? I'm not trying to give us an out. I'm not trying to cut some corners here. But if this word means to lift that branch up because it's gone down, maybe what we should say to people is there are times in our life when we feel like we're down. We feel like all of our energy is just to survive. And this good vine dresser lifts us up. He's not ready to cut us off. He's not ready to shut us away. He said, this vine abides in me. It doesn't bear fruit, but he lifts it up. Why? Because the father, the vine dresser, wants the branch to do what? To produce. Produce those matters of character. Produce those matters of life that he knows that the branch can do because it's in the vine. I'm just saying, it's got to make sense that way. It doesn't make sense that a person is in Jesus, that they're in the vine, that they're in the life, and now it's not bearing fruit, so he's going to cut them off. I don't think that's the point. Also, I would suggest that because the word prune 
is a, is a compound word of kathaire. It's the same word with the preposition kathae. So it says here, in the one that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it'll bear more fruit. It's the same word, ire, simply with kath in front of it. So the idea is it looks like a word play there to say, look, this is down, lift it up, and this one is here, and cut it up. He prunes it. A vine left to itself will produce a great deal of growth, but no fruit. I wrote this in my notes here. I want you to look. It says, in every vine that bears fruit, he prunes it so it may bear more fruit. Okay, there's some of you in here I know, and I'm not going to call your name, but here's this. I want you to understand something. It's not your job to prune yourself. Leave yourself alone. Let the vine dresser prune you. He will. Anybody got any doubts about that, that God will prune us? <laughs> not me. Listen, I'm running around the backside of the barn sometimes thinking, he can't find me. <laughs> Some of us need to leave ourselves alone and quit assuming that we know what God needs to do and that we need, he needs to cut us this way, he needs to cut it that way. Jesus said here, he's the one who does the pruning, not you. He's the one who knows how far it needs to be cut back, not you. He's the one who knows when to. You know, I've got a tree in my front yard. It's a triple-trunked live oak. I bought the house for the tree. I'm serious. It's, it's like a trinity tree. It has three trunks. It, I love that tree. Uh, this past uh, winter, I was out there with fence stakes, beating ice off of it. I told Becky, this house can go, man. I'm telling because you're going to repaint it anyway. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm beating that tree, getting that ice off. I sat out there. I was going to get a hair dryer. <laughs> Becky said, the neighbors will see you. I love that tree. That's the only thing I know about or about trees in this regard. I've, I've done some study on this because I have a guy that helps me take care of it. And I said, uh, Bill, I said, uh, this tree's getting a little out of whack. And, and uh, when we have these ice storms, I, I literally put a fence stake under one limb to hold it. He said to me, no, we can't do that right now. And I said, why not, man? I don't want to lose this tree. He said, Cliff, you don't cut and prune a live oak till the fall. I want to do it right now. I want to do it right now. Come on, let's get it done. Just take care of it right now. You know, let's go. Nope. We'll harm it. We're going to wait until the fall. You see, the father knows when you need to be pruned. Your husband may not. Your wife may not. Your friend may not. You may not. But the father does. Would you rest in the care of of a father, would you rest in the awareness that it said, he'll take care of you. If you're down, he'll lift you up. If you need to be pruned, he's going to prune you. And he knows exactly where to make the cut. I went out there with my clippers. I'm telling you, I thought Bill was going to have a fever. You did that? Man, I just, I'm just cutting stuff. It looking good to me. I don't know what I'm doing. Would you leave yourself alone and trust the Father, that if there's something to do, he'll let you know. I mean, I, I've had these kind of conversations with God before. Hey, my job is to obey your job to tell me. So do your job, then I'll do mine. In Jesus' name. <laughs>
right? Not being unkind, just saying, hey, what, your job's to tell me. My job's to do it. So when you tell me, I'll do it. So when you do your part, I'll do mine. I'm always messing with my life and tweaking it and thinking I need this and do that. I can't tell you how many times I've messed myself up. So here Jesus said, my father is the vine dresser. He's going to lift branches up that are down and he's going to prune branches that are bearing fruit. Why? Notice that. That it may bear more fruit. Do you know, if I'm reading this correctly, that Jesus is interested and the father is interested that we produce. The father is interested that those Branches, you and I, that we produce more, that, that we're, 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 we're pruned in such a way that we can even produce more for the glory of God. Not for our own life, but for the glory of God. Then finally, let me give you this last one here real quick. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So what if, before you go to bed, sometime to review one area of your life that you believe God has been seeking to prune. You're not, you're not making this up. You say, I think God has been dealing with me about this. Ask yourself, how much more productive would my life be if I allowed the Father to prune this matter? Identify what or who I'm allowing to interfere with that. Is there something that's interfering with that? Now let me show you one way God does it. Here's the last one. Receive the assurance of Jesus' words. Look what he says in 15.3. You're already clean. It's the Greek word there, pruned. Verse 3. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. How, how, does, how does God bring the peace to us through Jesus? How does, how does this occur? As we receive the word of Jesus. Nobody says you're already clean. You're already, your Bible probably shows you that that's katharizo or katharids. That the idea you're already clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. No, Jesus assures his followers they're already clean because of his words that he's spoken to them. Ever happened to you when you're reading the Bible, reading the Gospels, and uh, as you read it, God begins to do the pruning. He begins to say to you now, here's, here's an area. You see, leave yourself alone. Jesus said, you're already clean. You, you're already being pruned because of my words that I've spoken to you. And, and so I, I think that one of the ways to joy here is for us to say, look, I need to listen to the words of Jesus. I need to let his words cleanse and clean and correct me and guide me. Not my impressions, not my impulses. But you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. The words Jesus spoke here are the words of life. Is it Jesus' words that are able to make our lives clean and pruned? As I read Jesus' words and allow them a place in my life, I find that my life is then directed and guided and pruned. So when I'm reading it. That's the path to joy. You know, I said, well, you know, I know that's what it says, but well, let's let's look at it. Let's spend some time in the words of Jesus. Let's spend some times here in the terms that he's given us to say, here's my word to you. You've had that, haven't you? You, you? You've had that sense of cleanness when you say, you know what? God's been doing a work here. I find that as I spend time in his word, as I spend time in what he said, that my life begins to get pruned and developed and grows. Some of the research I read tells me that people in America 
spend typically, people that are evangelical Christians, about four or five minutes a day reading God's Word. I wonder if we could change that. We'd say, you know what? In this year, in this time of our country, nation, my life, whatever you want to say, I want God's Word to be the process of cleansing and cleaning and correcting my life in the days ahead. What would that be like? Well, what would you... Here we go. Well, there it is again. I love technology. Here's the idea. What if this week, what if this week, I didn't put an application here for you on this one. I've got it right here, or I'm going to have it here. What if this week, if you decided, I'm going to spend out of the next seven days, not every day, out of the next seven days, four days, four days out of seven, allowing God's word to work on me. Maybe it's a favorite passage. Maybe it's a particular area. Maybe it's one of the gospels to where you would say out of the next seven days, four of them are going to be days that I'm going to allow for five or 10 minutes, whatever it is, to allow God's word to prune me, to deal with me. And then the idea is that when I read it, when I study it, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to act as God prunes my life. We're going to keep working here, guys, but it looks like to me, if I know, recognize the source of my life, if I rest in the Father's care and I receive the words of Jesus, well, you know where we're going to end up? Verse 11. And you know what Jesus said? I've said all this to you to do this so you can have joy. And my joy, my full joy, will be in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, if there was ever a day that we needed joy, it's now. And we see in your word here the promise that you said that because of these things that you said, we would have joy. So help us in this coming week as we reflect and as we apply and as we live our lives, would you help us as we reflect on these words to begin to experience the joy that you have? Not the world has, not what we have, but the kind of joy you have to give to us in the midst of a real world that has real problems. I pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.